and happy Throwdown Thursday, Shakes Pals. Uh, we have got another special episode for you today uh, because I am in Tech Week and uh, don't have anything on the docket for this um, season coming up. Um, it's really exciting, though, because you will all get to hear the audio from the Sketching Shakespeare panel that Emily Swan and I did at DragonCon this year. So not only will you hear us talk about art, You'll hear a room full of people do um, the Friends, Romans, Countrymen audience participation, the audience participation bit of that. If you didn't know there was audience participation in Shakespeare, you're you're wrong. Um, welcome. And we talk about uh, that speech. We talk about chickens and we do a bunch of mini protest too much style matchups as suggested by the audience. It was so much fun. I'm so lucky to have Swan and everything she does. If you want to see the art and the video that goes with this to see the panic on my face uh, through <laughs> much of it, you can uh, check out. It's we've shared it on um, Twitter at P2M Pod, Instagram at P2M Pod, TikTok at P2M Pod. It is at YouTube on the digital media um, track channel. So DC Digital Media. And you can see it there. It, it's awesome. It's always so much fun to get to do that that show. And I just feel really lucky that we got to and that it, it went so well again this year. Um, special thanks again to Carson Brackey for last week coming on to talk about The Bachelor. And there was a lot of love for Miranda online winning The Bachelor. I think maybe the 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 uh, gumption of Juliet might just be too much for, for some bachelors, it might seem. But really fun chat to get to have and just a really cool episode all around. So thank you for listening to that. Uh, thank you for tuning in today. And remember, if you like what you hear, to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Welcome to Protest Too Much, a Shakespeare showdown podcast where a guest and I go head to head each week and you get to decide who wins. Yeah, I'm ready. ready. We got like 30 seconds. Everyone count down. (laughs) You decide. (laughs) Just start at different points. (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome. You all did such a good job counting down. This is like getting you ready for the audience participation part. Uh, My name is Steph Crignola. My name is Swan, also known as a Swan named Emily. And we are here to sketch some Shakespeare. Swan is the sketching. I am the Shakespeare. Hello, I am William Shakespeare, back from the dead. I am everything of William Shakespeare's nightmares, honestly. Um, So... For a couple of things, a couple of housekeeping things. We want to first off thank Blueberry for their sponsorship of this track. Let's all give them a round of applause. We love Blueberry. Um, also, we are streaming live to Twitch. Hello, everybody on Twitch at DC Digital Media. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, shout out to y'all. And if you enjoy this panel, make sure you give us a five-star rating on the app and tell them you want it to come back. If you hate this panel, Give us a spite five stars. Like, oh, five stars. Maybe they'll be better next year. You can do that. Yes. Um, also, five stars are allowed. Yeah, we we wish it were five stars. Um, also, this year's Dragon Con charity is Open Hand Atlanta. And you can put money in this box or you can go to donate.openhandatlanta.org slash GE slash Dragon Con. 
Uh, it's also written down here if you want to see it later. But Dragon Con is matching up to $100,000 of y'all's donations. So that's pretty exciting. We can clap for them too. So uh, a little bit about me to start. I have a master's degree in early modern English literature. And I run a Shakespeare company. I also have a Shakespeare podcast called Protest Too Much, where I had a guest and I go head to head each week, and you, the listener, gets to decide who wins. Um, my guest brings both sides of the argument, so I don't know who I'm arguing for on the topic when the show starts. You're going to see a couple of those matchups as we go through this panel today to give Swan some time to draw. So you can see a couple examples on this postcard. Uh, if you don't have one at your seat, there are some in the back, and also you can feel free to pop around, pass them, pass them back. Um, but you're going to shout out something for me to argue and justify, and I'm going to do it. And it's very, very fun and silly and chaotic. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I'm Swan. I'm the sketching part. Uh, I'm a full-time professional artist. I do a whole bunch of stuff. I also stream on my own channel in addition to doing this. And I run the Doodle Crew, which is a group of artists, and we get together, we pick a prompt, and we do live art based on that prompt. So yeah, I'm excited. Uh, my history is in animation and comic books. So I love bringing these stories into a comic book medium. So I've been attending cons and creating comics since about 2011. So it's been a while, but I like it as a visual storytelling medium. Uh, so you are also welcome uh, to ask questions about that if you're curious about my process, what I'm doing, why I'm doing something. What are you doing? <laughs> what am I doing? Very valid questions. Always feel Feel free to ask um yeah or if you ever want to hang out and chat with me and ask our questions there too i love that yeah so basically what sketching shakespeare is is i bring a little bit of shakespeare to swan we're all going to read it together it's going to be rad and then swan is going to take that as a jumping off point for inspiration so y'all have seen kind of modernized versions of shakespeare or shakespeare uh, in space or whatever people want to put on their stage um so swan's amazing artistic brain is going to take this very serious julius caesar speech <laughs> And do a surprise with it. <laughs> so as she draws, we're going to talk about art. We're going to talk about Shakespeare. And we are going to do some of these protest too much matchups. So are you all ready to get started? Yeah. yeah. All right. Love to hear that. Um, just to warm us up. I want everyone imagine that uh, you've just heard about a murder of someone you like and you're really mad about it. Yeah. Love that. So we are going to need that sort of audience participation. We are doing this, the funeral scene from uh, Julius Caesar, Friends, Romans, Countrymen. May sound familiar to some of y'all. Uh, and I'm going to need three volunteers to be some Roman citizens. I got one. Oh. I got two. And I got three. All right. So first plebeian, second plebeian, <laughs> third plebeian. Again, if the text for anyone is too small, as it is too small for me, if you scan my QR code here, the top link, I think, is the actual Word doc, so you can zoom in like you have my vision, which is bad. Um, everything that says all and is highlighted yellow, y'all are going to do with the rest of the room. Everyone's going to get mad. Most of them just say angry crowd noise. You got some, like, burn revenge at the end, so we'll get there. We're going to ramp ourselves up. Are you ready? Yeah! All right. Well, let's get started. Give me that angry crowd noise. For Brutus' sake, I am beholding to you. You gentle Romans. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. 
The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often turned with their bones, so let it be with Caesar. The noble Brutus hath told you Caesar was ambitious. If it were so, it was a grievous fault, and grievously hath Caesar answered it. Here under leave of Brutus and the rest. For Brutus is an honorable man, so are they all, all honorable men. Come I to speak in Caesar's funeral. He was my friend, faithful and just to me. But Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honorable man. When that the poor have cried, Caesar hath wept. Ambition should be made of sterner stuff. Yet Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honorable man. I speak not to disprove what Brutus spoke, but here I am to speak what I do know. You all did love him once, not without cause. What cause withholds you then to mourn for him? Judgment thou art fled to brutish beasts, and men have lost their reason. Bear with me, my heart is in the coffin there with Caesar, and I must pause till it come back to me. O oh, noble Caesar, Caesar. Um, <laughs> generally, uh, there is this essence of crowd chaos. I think a lot of times when we hear this friends, Romans, countrymen speech, uh, there's an actor up there and he's like, friends, Romans, countrymen. And you're like, okay, they're listening. Um, but this general chaos, that's what Antony is fighting. That's what he's coming up against. And there's so much hatred. And in the, the, the drop of a button, the drop of a drop of a hat, who dropped? our hat like it feels like a really big thing i mean a button feels like it falls off oh a drop in the button bucket everyone okay you drop a hat at the start of a race okay so you drop the hat and everyone goes i've learned something new already tonight thank you yes so everyone's attitude changes back and forth and back and forth. They're mad that Caesar has been killed. Then they're happy that Caesar has been killed. And then they're mad again that Caesar has been killed. So this kind of like shifting back and forth emotionally is so powerful in this scene because it is so loud. And noise is really the general like vibe of this scene to me. So Swan, when you hear this, just kind of first way through, what are some things that come to your mind as you start to like plot out your page? Uh, so the first thing is always, I am working in a medium that has no sound. What? So, so loud's not helpful to you? <laughs> it, everything is helpful. Uh, no, but it's interesting. And it's, there's a lot of things we can do non-verbally to show that. And there is a beautiful art to text art and word art. And having the words themselves or the letters themselves encroach upon the characters and fill into the frame so that even though I have, I'm going to have a character right here coming into frame, the main thing that you're going to see is going to be this text, is going to be this crowd roar that's bringing him in. And so the use of that is very purposeful. It's as important as the characters and the art it is uh, along on the page. So that's a fun thing to play with. It's always a little bit stressful because hand lettering is very difficult and I'm not good at it. But I like it as thinking of its own entity as its own character in the scene. How can you play with that? And how can you have your main character 
the one speaking in this kind of fight back against that? Yeah. So I have a question. I always have a lot of questions uh, for Swan because I am not skilled in art. Um, when you have general crowd noise like we had in the room, like we have on stage, when the text just says crowd noise, how do you decide what to use? Like, how do you decide raw for that crowd noise? Like, what? Uh, what's your thought process there? So it, I will say one thing is a little bit tricky about this is I am not going to actually put any of the text itself on the page. So the biggest thing that I have to work with is the images themselves. So I want text in the crowd noises that is evocative, is fitting for it, but also makes you think of certain words. Like I want you as the audience reading this page to hear things in your head. So I need to pick certain sounds, certain words. Like when you have great, it's, I always think of cars crashing into each other. You'll have this crunch. Crunch is a very visceral word. I want a visceral word that's going to engage the people who are looking at the page and make them hear that in their head. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Brad, uh, if you have questions about Shakespeare, maybe you want to know why your ninth grade teacher made you read Romeo and Juliet, uh, you can ask me that. That's fine. Uh, you can ask Swan anything about art. You can ask me anything about Shakespeare. And also, we're going to open it up to our Protest Too Much matchups. So if you have a question, if you have a matchup, come on up to this mic in the middle. You can just say, uh, Steph, tell me that Lady Macbeth would be the best superhero. I'm going to put a minute on my timer. I'm going to give you whole argument that is so well thought out um you can also off of this page you can give me any character in the entire canon that you want with any superlative uh so that challenge is going to be up to you so if you have questions if you have p2m matchups come on up to the microphone and while you're coming up can we just talk about how swan has drawn this entire like <laughs> sketch outline of the page in 11 minutes i work fast yeah what is the <laughs> How do you like make decisions that quickly? And uh, y'all feel free to come on up to the microphone as we're talking, as yeah, we're chatting, yeah. and we'll get to those questions. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I can talk about art forever, so please don't let me do that. <laughs> uh, so it sounds very simple, but it's something that I have to keep considering to myself. For Because I am illustrating for traditional comic layout, I'm starting at the top left of the page, and I'm working left to right, top to bottom. So even though you're not actually reading it, you're reading the page like you would read a book. So I need to make sure that the eye of the viewer is following along that path. And each beat, each hit that I get is falling in line with that so that you don't get to the bottom of the page and be like, oh, the information I actually needed was back up here. I want it to flow. And I want to, when you get to this final end, to have the conclusion and have the hit that I'm looking for, the reveal in that. So a lot of that leads into needing a way to make sure that that final hit is there and then figuring out how much information I can get on a page without overloading it. Awesome. All right. What do we got? Um, Puck as the best influencer. Puck as the best influencer. Go. Okay, so this is actually pretty straightforward because Puck does influence most of the action in Much Ado About Nothing. Now, he does sometimes use this love juice potion that he's got going on, but really it's his ability to create chaos and uh, that makes people need things. When things go wrong, people need a way to fix it. So if you're an influencer, you're trying to sell something, right? You're trying to push a product. You're trying to uh, get people to buy something or think a certain way or do a certain thing. So with Puck, 
you know, you might not say he's the best persuasive speaker, but A, he does keep Oberon from killing him for doing a little, little mix-up. Um, and B, he creates enough chaos for there to be a need for a product service uh, mindset change from the characters that he affects. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, who's up next? I'd like to know why Titus Andronicus would win on a reality cooking show. Oh, okay. So the question is, why would Titus Andronicus win on a reality cooking show? All right. So here's the thing. I watch a lot of Chopped. And the biggest complaint of the uh, judges on Chopped is if you bring them up and you're like, this is a risotto. This is a half head risotto or whatever. I, whatever. Um, and it's like not quite a risotto. They're like, I would have loved it if you had called it something different. If you called it calf head loose rice, totally great. <laughs> Titus tells you exactly what you're eating. He is able to use all parts. He grinds their bones to dust to make a dough for pastry. He uses their good old meat for the insides. Uh, he is resourceful. He uses all parts of the animal. Uh, the animals being Chiron and Demetrius, naturally. And... You know, they haven't, uh, uh, Tamara and Saturninus don't spit it out as soon as they swallow it. So it must be good. It's only when he says, yeah, those are your kids and not pie, that they're mad. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, hi. I want to know why Falstaff would be the best blind date. Why Falstaff would be the best blind date. Okay, I actually think this one is true because not all blind dates are with the intention of, of, of pursuing a fully fledged romantic relationship, right? Sometimes you just go on a blind date to like get yourself out there, shake things up a bit. Um, your friend has some really interesting ideas of who you are as a person that they think would match with their friends. Um, so a blind date should be something that you get a story from. And really, what is a blind date besides food for your next date? So, hey, we just, we're on, we're on this next date. Like, we're hanging out. Let me tell you, what's the best blind date I've ever been on? It was with this guy, Falstaff. He drank so much. He told stories about all of his adventures. Pretty sure none of them were true. But, like, he seemed to believe them. And he was super passionate, super excited. I think that would be so entertaining to be on a blind date with a guy like Falstaff. Because you're not, there are no inhibitions. He's already drunk when he shows up, so you feel <laughs> fine having a few. It's just a, a good old time. Oh, I'm not making noise again, but I promise it's a minute. <laughs> just, Drew can trust me. I'm a, an expert. What would you like to know? Uh, Friar Lawrence as the host of a reality show. <laughs> or a dating show, a reality dating show. Okay, okay, no, this is good. Okay, I've got this. Um, so what is Romeo and Juliet if not a really bad reality television dating show? <laughs> Ends poorly for everyone. There's drama, there's comedy, there's friends that get involved. Friar Lawrence would be so good at hosting this because he's such an enabler. And he keeps secrets. So if you're watching a show like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, all of these uh, guys and gals and non-binary pals are hanging out with each other. They're all kissing in the, the kissing room. They're going on their secret dates. They're doing they're doing all their things. And, and the bachelor's like, yeah, I have no, I've kissed anyone else. It's just, oh, you're so pretty. And like, my whole life is with you. And like, the host, the Jeff Probst of Survivor, whoever that, Chris Harrison, um, is like, sounds legit. 
yeah, you should definitely go in that room with that guy who's definitely not kissed anyone else on this on this TV show. He keeps all those secrets and he enables them to keep making poor, poor life choices. Uh, <laughs> therefore, it would be entertaining for everyone except the couples. <laughs> How would Puck be bad as the next Doctor Who? Ooh. Okay, so that's quite clearly. How would Puck be bad as the next Doctor Who? The Doctor Who is uh, is a bit of a chaos agent himself, right? Uh, he jumps through space and time and impacts things in a sometimes detrimental way, sometimes positive way. And Puck would be bad as Doctor Who because I think that to be a doctor, to be the doctor, you need the hearts of a good person um you need to be your goal needs to be improving people's lives right um so usually the doctor helps people or um saves planets or or does things that are beneficial and selfless because usually the doctor is putting themselves in a position of danger or stress or uh you know deaths and puck would never do that Puck would always look out for number one, and number one is Puck. So I think that even though there would be good chaos, it would be fun and exciting, wouldn't be altruistic enough. All right. Woo! Why would Polonius be an awesome DJ? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, the question, oh, no. The question is, this is when you all find out that you can stump me. Why would Polonius be an awesome DJ? All right, um, DJs love to hear themselves talk. They would not be on the radio for public voice consumption if they didn't like talk. And he would be the kind of, like, morning radio show DJ that, like, gets you up to date with the traffic, but not in a boring way, in a way that he's like, Three cars jammed on the I-95 North predicts that your soul will uh, go to, to work today. Uh, if you see uh, lightning in the sky, take that as an omen and advice that you shouldn't give money to other people. That's just a thing that he would do. So it'd be entertaining and informative. If you boil down Polonius's stuff, like he does have some nuggets of wisdom in there, uh, but people would would find it entertaining they would be like ah oh, bumbling old polonius uh, mixing those I, this is a bad one i did not do well <laughs> on that, one. that was bad um polonius would not be a good dj thank you for for that um they're not all winners on this show i'm gonna do a quick check-in with swan how are we doing we're good um talk <laughs> through this because I see an axe and a chicken yes uh, so in my in my dramatic recasting and retelling of this beautiful speech uh, we have someone who has just gotten killed yesterday and <laughs> the rest of the flock is being addressed and they need to know that it was for a good reason and it's okay and that you should trust what has happened and there he is. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> uh, and they're they're very vocal about it. They have some thoughts. <laughs> okay, I um, genuinely love this. 
because I think a lot of times for like a Caesar crowd scene, we we get the imagery of like sheep, right? Following the the whatever, whatever. Um, the fact that they're chickens. When I said that this this speech is is loud, I don't know if there is an animal that could more uh, perfectly encompass that chaotic loud. Can we? Y'all did angry noises earlier. Can we get some chicken noises in here? I don't hear a difference. So uh, that's amazing. And then who else? Uh, what else we got going on? Uh, so we've got, so it is a singular farmer who is also very emphatically putting all of the blame onto the scarecrow, which is Brutus. Uh, <laughs> Brutus is a Halloween man. Um, I'm going to let you keep inking that. Thank you. <laughs> um, what do we have next? <laughs> Why would Rosencrantz and Guildenstern be the best, the next best HGTV hosts? Oh, this is awesome. Okay, so Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Um, they are, they are so, they're like the property brothers um, in the way that they like definitely love each other a little bit maybe too much some might say um but they have such good banter and they're clearly so comfortable with each other also they lie a lot and they're bad at it which i feel like everyone on a home renovation show does they're like yeah we can definitely renovate your whole house under this budget under this time and then all of a sudden they're like oh no we have to replace the whole house we can't do that in time we lie to you but we're sorry we can give you oh, like love it or list it She's like, yeah, I told you I would give you 17 extra rooms, but I can only give you three. Sorry. Uh, and what those people really want is someone to like clean out their house anyway. They don't really want my thoughts on love or listed aside. Um, they'd be really good because of that banter and because of the lying. I'm, uh, I'm playing Guildenstern right now in Austin with the Bairnsmen, which is a historical, uh, they started as a historical reenactment company, so all of their costumes are historically accurate, and it's super rad. We're in a, an outdoor theater that looks like the globe. It was built as a globe replica, um, so that's super cool. So I'm intimately familiar with Guildenstern right now. <laughs> what do we got now? Lay it on me. If you wanted to cause as much chaos in one of Shakespeare's stories as possible, who would you pull from one of his other stories and drop into the world? That's such a good question. Okay, so first of all, go Greyhounds. Second of all, to repeat the question, um, who would I take from another Shakespeare play and drop it into to, to cause chaos? I feel like um, I feel like Puck is a really easy answer there. So what I'm going to do is not choose that, and I am going to go with Cloten from Cymbeline. So Cymbeline, if you are familiar, which you might not be, it's my favorite Shakespeare play ever, go read it. Um, Cloten is basically the son of the evil queen and her one job is like, hey, you're gonna marry this princess and become king. And the reason I'm choosing him to cause chaos is because he does literally whatever anyone tells him to. He has no mind of his own He's like, oh, my mom wants me to woo Imogen. All right, musicians, up and at them. We're going to make some dirty jokes at this girl's door, and she's going to love it. Um, so he has no thought of his own. It's so frat boy energy. It's so much frat boy energy. Like, it's, it's bonkers bananas. Um, 
And I think that's the most dangerous thing in a Shakespeare play is when someone does everything that other people tell them to, because so many people are giving advice and so many people are, are instructing in Shakespeare that things only really turn out well when someone's like, pause, hold time out. Let's not do that. Cloten would be like, yes, let's do it. Let's go. Heck yeah. In anything. So I think he would cause the most chaos. That's a great question. That's really fun. Yeah. All right. Why would Tim Leah make the best wellness guru? Uh, the best wellness guru? Yeah. Why would King Lear make the best wellness guru? Yes, I've got this. Okay, so Lear is all about self-care. Um, when he feels like he's getting a little too old to run the kingdom, he's like, I'm going to give it to my daughters. Now, that does not go well for him, but like that aside, he makes the decision to take a step back. Do what's best for him. He thinks it's what's best for the country, right? He's like, let's split it up. Let's give it to my girls. They're fine. Um, one of them's fine, at least. And and he takes the time for himself that he needs. His plan. Now, we're talking about Lear as a person, not the plot. His plan is, I'm going to retire. I'm going to take a 100 of my best drunken friends. I'm going to go live with my kids, each one by one. I'm going to go tour around the countryside and just hang out because I'm old and I deserve it. And he would be able to relay that information to other people that they deserve to take a break when they need to. And that is important when you're ruling a country or really doing anything. So I think he would be a pretty good plot of the play, notwithstanding. <laughs> Hello, come on up. Hi, um, could you please tell me why Oberon would make such a great pop star? Yeah, <laughs> I can. Oberon is so flashy. He is such a, a an attention seeker. He sees something that he wants and he does whatever he needs to do to get it. So in order to be a famous pop star, you really need to have that like go get itiveness that uh, you find success. And he would like, he's like, oh, someone said no to me. I don't accept that as an answer. Um, in the industry, I guess that could be a good thing. Um, in life, it's not, but in the industry. And he has a flair for the dramatic. When um, Helena and Demetrius come on by and they're fighting, he's like, ooh, okay, let me watch. And he's like, I'm invisible. I'm going to creep on these people and watch this drama unfold. And then that's not even enough for him. He's like, oh, yes, I am going to fix this drama and they will love me. So he, he needs to be involved in things. And he has like this, this dramatic flair that um, he gets the attention, he gets the fame, he gets the success. Also, I bet he would be a rad singer for a reason, because I said so. I don't You don't need to be a good singer to be a pop star, I don't think. Um, Swan, let's check in with you again. And also, if you have any art questions, any general Shakespeare questions, any P2M matchups from the note card or from your brain, uh, come on up to the microphone and let's do... Let's do a check-in. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so at this point, I am happy with how the page has laid out, which is why I'm jumping to the inks, also because it's a little bit easier for y'all to see. Uh, so I like to jump to that. But the big thing that I wanted with this is the punchline of my page <laughs> is the the reveal that it's chickens, that it's not actually humans, that it is barnyard animals that he is talking to. So everything else that I set up in this whole upper half of the page is He's yelling at, you know, a crowd in shadow. The the scarecrow is in silhouette or the hat is tipped down. I need 
the reveal to not happen until you get to this final last panel so that the entirety of that page till that point is believing that he is actually addressing other humans and other people. So that's the impact for the hit of the humor. Yeah, I, I feel like because like this acts and this, like I might say if I were looking at the top of your page, I'm gonna do this so you can hear me and I can look at it. Um, I would think like this might be a country Western version of Caesar, which is a, a pretty, I think, traditional way to approach Caesar. There's that like, um, there is a second, you all know that there's a second half of the play Julius Caesar after this funeral scene, right? Uh, it's not great. <laughs> it's really not that good. Uh, it's not worth much, um, but it does exist. And I think it has a very like high noon showdown style when you've got Brutus and Cassius on one side, when you've got Antony and Octavius and the, the triumvirate on the other side, um, you have this like, doo -doo 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 -doo. and so the ax and the hat and like the very cool guy got a straw in my mouth oh, yeah. and whatever. I don't care about sea turtles. Um, uh, it's, it's straw, but then I thought of a straw. Listen, welcome to sketching Shakespeare. Uh, Anthony definitely doesn't care about sea turtles. Let me argue that for 60 seconds. Um, but yeah, there's a very high noon element to Caesar in general. So it, it's expected on the page. Like once you see it and your brain starts to work, I'm like, okay, I can get this country, a uh, country Western Caesar. And then you get to the bottom. <laughs> and I think that that reveal, how as an artist, do you keep people from like, skipping ahead to the bottom of the page. So I think that's actually an interesting part of it is I can't stop the eye. I can't stop you from flipping to this page and looking at the whole thing and absorbing it immediately. What I can do is try everything I can to put your eye where I want it to go, to have a specific thing that draws you to it. So I didn't want to mention earlier when we were talking about the, the text, I was specifically not making the text sounds chicken clucking or brock sure is the is yeah. the very specific words that i would the use industry standard yes, the industry chicken standard noise is a brock um uh but <laughs> i'm a professional um so i want interesting things to happen there i want you to to like okay so top of the page it's usually the setting i want to get you in and then get you in as quickly as i can to the scene that i am setting so from there, I want these three panels to be interesting enough that even though mm. there is some darker shading down here, your eye is still going to go to this stuff first. And I, what I'm going to end up doing is putting in a very dark background on some of this. And the silhouette is very striking. So the goal is to have as much control over where your eye is going on the page as I can, knowing that you will get to the bottom of the page as fast as you want. So it's, it's also hopefully that as a whole, the page is interesting and engaging. So even if you do jump down to something, you then want to go back and look into it more. And that's something I love about comics. And especially if you reread comics, <laughs> so often the artists are having fun adding little things that have nothing to do with the story, but there's little Easter eggs and bits and interactions of the background characters that are happening because it's fun. And you'll see a whole story play out behind the main action that has nothing to do with anything else. And it just, it adds weight and reality to this world that we're building and making it feel more lived in and feel more real. And I think that way then the action and the focus hits that much better. Yeah, that's really cool. 
Thank you. I love that. Give it up for Swan, just because she's so freaking good. All right. Crack my, I can't crack my knuckles, but all right. Uh, can you tell me why Lysander is the future of the Kardashians? Oh, okay. There is nothing the Kardashians love more than a, a big dumb dummy, I guess. I don't, I, Lysander is a big dumb dummy. That's, that's really what I've got. Uh, he's definitely a sad boy enough that they could take him. You know how like uh, Pete Davidson is like, looks like a, he's like a hard sad boy. Like he looks tough cause he has tattoos, I guess. But like, he's really just a sad boy on the inside. I think I've never met him, but I like, I hope he's not, but he gives me that like sad boy vibe. And so if someone like him can be like folded into the Kardashian drama, also, Lysander has a, a penchant for drama. He gets involved in things that spin out of his control. He probably did something uh, to make Hermia's dad hate him um, because Demetrius is kind of a ding-dong. So, like, there had to be something more to that story, some drama behind it, uh, romantic drama the Kardashians love, and that's why. I don't know anything about the Kardashians. Um, so sorry, Kim. Hi. Hi. Can you tell me why Corey Lanus would be the snootiest New York Times film critic? Oh yes, um, because he's a man. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Next. <laughs> why would Lady Macbeth be an excellent preschool teacher? Ooh. Okay. All right. Why would Lady Macbeth be an excellent preschool teacher? Because I don't know. I was a teacher for 13 years. I don't know if anyone's ever been in a classroom. Raise your hand. Any teachers? Oh, uh, oh. yeah. Nice. You're amazing. Um, you need a certain amount of crowd control to be a, a preschool teacher, especially. Um, you need to be able to look at those 25 four year olds and say, I need us all to do cleanup time now and like be forceful enough about it um, that they do it. I don't know if you've ever met kids, but they don't want to do anything. And Macbeth, let's be honest, is basically a preschooler. Like he's a big, dumb baby. I have strong feelings about Macbeth and none of them are positive. Um, and if she can get Macbeth to do whatever she wants him to, she could definitely get a room full of actual babies to do that. Yes. <laughs> uh, hi, this question's for Emily. Um, what is going on in your head? Yeah, I guess full stop, but also that you, you hear this speech and you think, ah, oh, it's chickens. It's chickens. It's a uh, great question. It's a great question. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, multi-part answer. Uh, part of this is fun for me is taking a very, especially this, a very well-known speech and changing it up and messing with it. It's part of the fun. I think it's part of the fun that actors have when they bring it to the stage. I say as someone who's never acted in Shakespeare, <laughs> this is as close as I get. But it's fun to play with this text because the feelings and the stories translate through. You don't need them to be set in Elizabethan or Grecian or Roman or any of that. They don't have to be anything because the story is still there. So there's a lot of it that's just how silly can I be? How fun can I be? 
Also, because we are a panel that's happening before 10 o'clock at night, <laughs> I wanted to find a very creative way to handle a heavy subject that was not PG-13 or up. But that's, it's part of the puzzle of art and especially comics that I love. I love finding creative ways of new problems. And especially with this, because it's not something that I personally wrote, I have complete creative control. You did it? I didn't. I'm sorry. Wow. Sorry. Wow. I did not write it. Okay. But <laughs> I get to play in these words in any way that I want. And still the goal at the end of it and the puzzle that it is, is trying to figure out how to still tell an engaging story that is true to what's happening, whether it is exactly how Shakespeare would have liked to have seen it played or not. But I want that, that feeling to still be there. And I like having comedy aspects in my art. I like making jokes of things. So to be able to have this end in a funny punchline is just a selfish artist thing that makes me happy. So there were a lot of elements in this, but then I'll also admit that once I got this idea in my head, I said, no, no, we're not going to work through any other ideas. This is what we're going to do. And this is what you get. Chickens all the way Chickens down. Chickens all the way down. It's amazing. <laughs> no, I love that that's the way your brain works. Um, and I do think Shakespeare would love this because a lot of times, like uh, and you'll hear on the podcast and just in general, if you've ever spoken to me, um, there's so much elitism that surrounds Shakespeare. And... He's like a lot of his plays are like, wouldn't it be funny if there was a chicken here? But like in after 10 p.m. Dragon Con terms. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What do we got, El Hanley and Chat in person? <laughs> Why would Hamlet? Why would Hamlet make a good therapist? Oh, actually, okay. Why would Hamlet make a good therapist? Um. So here's the thing, Hamlet loves to soliloquize because he's working through some big feelings and big thoughts and he has the experience let's say he lives let's say he like su survives this play that things go a little better for him than they do in the plot um he has had experience working through these big thoughts and feelings and that like breadth of knowledge and understanding that sometimes you just really need to sit there and talk for an hour through it to get someplace like he a lot of his soliloquies have resolutions there are a lot of talking but like in to be or not to be he knows why he can't uh do any murder of himself or of claudius it's because like he he's afraid and he's able to recognize that fear and fear is okay it's okay to be afraid of doing things and afraid of things um and he he works through that why would someone not do this this is why and this is what i am um so he's able to like process really complex thoughts and i think he'd be able to do the same for other people Love me some, love me some hammy ham. Okay. Why would the nurse from Romeo and Juliet be uh, an interesting, interesting uh, conspiracy theory podcast host? Okay. So here's the thing. Interesting is my favorite word when it comes to Shakespeare in a positive and negative way. Um, I'll get to the argument in a second, but like when I'm directing, someone makes a choice that I hate, I'll be like, interesting. Um, but if someone makes a choice that I love, I'll be like, interesting. So that's a good word choice for this. All right. Oh, I love the nurse from Romeo and Juliet. She would be an excellent uh, conspiracy theorist. You say podcast host? Yeah. Because if you are a conspiracy theorist podcast host, you're probably talking to yourself for a long time. There might as well be no one else in the scenes where the nurse is present 
because nobody else says anything. So it's pretty much like she is running her own podcast for herself. And, you know, she's got some ideas. Um, <laughs> she is able to take something that is like objectively true and twist it into a thing that doesn't like exist. Um, I mean, Romeo did kill Juliet's cousin. And she's like, yeah, but how hot his parents though? She doesn't care that like Juliet is legally married. Like that, the law means nothing to her. The the real the realism the the reality of the scene means nothing to her, and that I think would make her an interesting conspiracy theorist podcaster. <laughs> oh, okay. Hi. Um. Can Hello. you please explain the love triangle between uh, Francis Flute Bottom and Peter Quince? Can I please explain the love triangle between Francis Flute, Bottom, and Peter Quince? <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. Uh, have you ever been in a theatrical performance of any kind? Then you know why there is a relationship, a romantic relationship between P Peter Quince, Francis Flute, and Nick Bottom. It's because there's a thing we like, we in the industry like to call a showman. And it's when, like, the, the, the fact that you're all in a play together makes everyone somehow more attractive. And you're like, yeah, like, looking at that guy on stage, like, he's, he can definitely get it. Um, and, like, he, after the show ends, you're like, could he, though? Like, can he get it? I don't think he can get it. Uh, but that doesn't matter during a showmance. All that matters is the stage and your passion and your love. Next question. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the rock god of podcasting himself. Yeah, you know, yeah. everyone give Charles a round of applause. He runs this track and it's amazing. Yeah. If I go to patreon.com slash sketching Shakespeare and I pledge a dollar, will you draw me like one of your Shakespeare chickens? <laughs> where you want to go is patreon.com slash a swan named Emily. And yes, you can absolutely pledge a dollar and I will absolutely draw you as a Shakespearean chicken. Amazing. You heard it live on the internet. Live on the internet, patreon.com slash a swan named Emily. Swan will draw you as a chicken. Also, if you want to give me money, Charles, you can do that. You can do that at patreon.com slash P2M pod. And I will draw you as a Shakespearean chicken. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be ugly. And that it's not because you're ugly, Charles. You're very handsome, but my drawing is ugly. But you can also do that. Next question. Okay, um, I actually have a question for Swan. Yes. So um, <laughs> um, how do you determine uh, the layout of your panels and how things will overlap with each other before you even really get... Uh, most of the story on paper? Uh, so this is interesting. And uh, thank you. That's an excellent question. Um, so if this were not live in front of y'all, and I was actually just getting a script and working through it, I would start everything with a thumbnail. So it's a tiny little sketch to lay out a page. This is where I get to figure out what specific beats do I want to hit on this page? How much information do I want to cover? How much information has the writer asked me to cover? What's the focal point? What's the hit? What's the thing that's most important? Doing it live, I compress a lot of that down and I wing it. Uh, but I'm still, like I said, the big thing is thinking about what's the most important thing happening on that page. What is the thing, like, if you look at this and once you leave this room today, what's the thing that you're going to remember? Chickens. 
<laughs> chickens. <laughs> it's going to be chickens. So that's the focal point. I'm like, okay, so you combine that with, because this is going to be a payoff joke, how can I make that the most important thing? So even though you saw me start up here, I knew that I only wanted to allocate about half of my page to the setup. Because at a certain point, I need to give you, the audience, enough time to really start to understand what's unfolding. So it's a balance between how much getting you into the scene can I do and how much do I actually need to devote to the final reveal. Now, if we were putting text into this and speech bubbles were a part of it, that really changes layout. So if I'm actually working on a comic that is going to have characters talking to each other, it's why the thumbnail is so important. And I make sure that all of that is laid out because if I lay out this great page and then have to go back and put speech bubbles in over it, it's awful. And you can tell it looks bad. So I would want to make sure that if I needed characters to get through a lot of text with something like this, I would probably do less art because I needed the space for the speech. So it's this very working together and kind of I always think of the little like wooden puzzles where they start mismatching and you have mm -hmm. to like move one at a time and then scooch it around until you actually finally make that picture. That's kind of what's happening in my brain to go back to a previous question uh, is sliding these pieces around and saying, okay, I want a scene where the main character is yelling. So that's going to be a panel. I want a scene where he's addressing the crowd. I want that to be, but I also want to show, him on his own with the noise happening around him. So taking all of those little ideas, figuring out how much space I can devote to each one, and then kind of building it from there. Uh, like I said, it's a lot It's a lot more stressful on the spot when I'm doing it right now. <laughs> but normally, I would go in, I would make all of these little thumbnails very quick. If it didn't work, then I would go back and try something else. Or I'd go back to the writer and say, could we please not try and cover? 18, well, he's dead, so 18, you can't. <laughs> 18 lines worth of information on one page, because that's too much. But yeah, yeah that's awesome. <laughs> These chickens are so freaking cute. I OK. Like uh, this is a slightly different question. Um, Kiss, Mary, Kill, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet, and A Midsummer Night's Dream. The plays. Kiss, Mary, Kill of the three plays, Romeo, Ooh. Juliet, Midsummer, Hamlet. I am going to um, kiss Midsummer Night's Dream uh, because it's like flirty and fun. But honestly, like if you've ever done theater, you've done a Midsummer Night's Dream seventeen thousand times, and like I'm, I'm done with it. Um, so like I couldn't like commit to that long term relationship. I am going to marry Hamlet because like. I can I could think about that play for my entire life and never be sick of thinking about that play. Um, and that's really what marriage is, right? Um, never getting sick about of thinking of that person. Um, and then I'm just gonna kill Romeo and Juliet because because uh, that's the third one, and I don't have a good reason for it. Okay, here's the scenario. Oh boy. <laughs> Every major Shakespeare protagonist has a Twitter account. They're all posting all the time, big posting energy. Who gets canceled first and for what reason? I'm, I'm gonna assume it's Lear because that's what happens in the first scene, but I would like to hear your thoughts. Okay, yeah, Coriolanus because uh, he's a man. <laughs> that's the most toxically masculine play that exists, so it's really the best play to make that joke with. 
Hello. Hi. I would, I would love to hear you talk uh, about how Eleanor of Aquitaine would be the best mommy blogger talking about parenting King John. Okay. So uh, here's the thing. Um, King John is someone who clearly has been quite influenced by his mother, right? Um, if there's one thing we can say about King John, it's that he's a mommy's boy and also that he might be from the Lion King. Those. I hadn't read King John before one of my guests came on the podcast and he's like, are you for King John? And I was like, yup, Google summary. Um, since then I've read it and I actually really like that place. It's, it's really good. Uh, the bastard character in that show is one of the most underrated characters in all of Shakespeare. I'm using a lot of my minute to talk about King, Le uh, King John. Um, yeah, he's super influenced by his mom. And if you are a mommy blogger, that's the goal, right? Is to put out content so that other people can have an impact, positive or negative. We're not going to argue that. We're not going to argue whether it's good or bad influence, but she definitely has a lot of influence over him. And, and that's what she would be able to give to other people so they could take that and make their children weirdly murdery kings. <laughs> As everyone wants. Um, <laughs> Y'all, this has been amazing. We're gonna do some some wrapping up. Um, Swan, I want you to just very, uh, I mean, you don't have to be brief, very, uh, <laughs> I don't know, generally or whatever, uh, talk through this page. Let us kind of take a look at it in the, in the picture yeah. and just like the thing that you love about it, um, the thing that you most had fun with, talk about it a little bit to wrap uh, up. Yeah. Thing. Uh, I got it. pretty close. I, I almost got everything all set, which I, I'm happy about. Just the, it's the words, man. I guess I put words in. Uh, so obviously for me, I love drawing people. People is one of the favorite things that I have that I draw. Uh, I love drawing emotions and expressions and posing people to do all of that. And so it, there's a part of this that's just fun for me knowing that I made a joke at the end. Like if you can make yourself laugh with your, your own projects, like that's a huge win. Uh, but it was fun and it's, it's very rewarding coming into this with a very rough idea and hoping things that are going to, like hoping that they're going to work and then when they actually work, like that's really nice. Uh, but yeah, so starting out, I like I was saying earlier, quick rundown of good practice for just comic making uh, is setting the scene. So biggest thing is I'm trying to make sure that the audience and the viewer knows that we are we are outside and that something is happening and that there's noise happening. Introduction of the character, kind of introduction to his body language, his demeanor, is getting to know this person, again, all through nonverbal stuff. Then jumping right into the expressive nature of it where I start to get to really have fun with how the character's emoting, how he is moving his body and starting to set up some of the jokes that I'm going to pay off later. And then the final reveal where all of a sudden this character that I've now spent one, two, three, four, five panels working on, he's the least important part of this. Because now, as your eye travels across it, you hit the ridiculous face of the scarecrow. I love I'm very it so proud much. Of. It's so good. <laughs> very proud of. And then you just get chickens. And that's just, that's really rewarding for me. So it's, yeah, I, I'm very happy. I'm happy with how this turned out. I appreciate all of you. <laughs> being on board with me drawing this. Uh, here's here's my last question, Swan. Yeah. Real, just real quick. Um, how much of your chicken style is influenced by the animated classic Robin Hood? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's oh. first crush. Uh, yes, which I've also seen amazing cosplay of yeah. this weekend, which is incredible. Uh, 
it was not my first inspiration. Uh, I was going to say I was going more for a little bit of the dead eye murderiness of the seagulls from oh. Finding Nemo, who just look over and then lock eyes with you. It's just the crowd yelling. Right? Yeah. Like, that all of a sudden, like, oh, they could turn, and there's a lot of them. And I mean, I could take a lot of birds, but can I take all of them? <laughs> um, they are they are incredible. I love the little like question marks about like they're really like thinking about it. They're like, huh, who do we believe in this? Um, y'all, this has been incredible. Let's give a huge round of applause for Swan for drawing this in an hour. Less than an hour. Swan, tell everybody where they can find and follow you. You can find and follow me all across the internet at a swan named Emily. I'm on Twitch. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. You can follow me on Patreon if you want to see more of that. Uh, if you join me on Twitch, I do live arts most every Friday uh, where you can pop into chat. You can suggest things. You can ask me art questions. Uh, I love teaching art, so that's a huge part of it. If you want to see me and other artists work, uh, I run the Doodle Crew, which is a group of artists rotating cast. We get a different prompt. We live stream it all, and then all of those end up over on my YouTube page. I also take commissions, so if you would like me to draw you as a chicken, as previously stated, that is an option. Or if you would like to see your D&D character brought to life in any fashion, chicken or not, uh, I love doing that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, come hang out with me, talk art with me. Uh, I have a degree from an art school, so if you want to know information about that, you can ask me that too. It was years ago, but I think it's still relative. But yeah, all over the internet, at a swan named Emily, come say hi. And yeah. <laughs> and we do this uh, usually every third Sunday of the month at twitch.tv slash swan named Emily. Uh, I will bring a random Shakespeare speech and we do this uh, without the P2M stuff. We just kind of chat more, have a little bit more time for Swan to draw <laughs> rather than a this less manic. chaos. Um, but you can find me on the internet at Kruggles, but you can find Protest Too Much at P2M Pod. And we are on Twitter. We are on TikTok. I love TikTok. I like. I'm a weird. I'm a weird millennial old person on TikTok, but it's fine. Um, uh, Patreon.com/slash/p2mpod. And yeah, uh, that's really. This is the podcast. I just yell things that I have no idea. I have no preparation for. I'm not ready. I don't know what I'm going to be arguing, but it's always fun. I've had some really incredible guests come on. Um, if any of you were up at the William Shakespeare Star Wars panel yesterday uh, or if you know William Shakespeare's Star Wars the author of that Ian Desher was on the podcast um, if you know the, the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged the um, very funny play Austin Titchener of the Reduced Shakespeare Company uh, who worked on that is on the podcast so we've got a few guests who are really just like fascinating minds and incredible thinkers and uh, they stumped me so <laughs> uh, it's always it's always fun. It's always a pleasure. Thank you all so much. Give yourselves a round of applause for all of your cheering and shouting and all of your matchups. And again, if you enjoyed this panel, please give us a five star rating on the app. This is honestly one of the most fun things that I get to do ever. Um, and we would love to do it again next year. So go ahead, leave us some feedback, put some comments in because they do read them and take them into consideration. We will be up here if you want to learn more about either of us. Uh, our QR codes are on these postcards. If you didn't get one, they're on some seats up here, and we'll, we can hand them out up here. We also have stickers and uh, other stuff. So come feel free to chat, and thank you for being here. Thank you.